0: We are back in the book of Acts. I'm glad to be here. It feels like it's been a while. We're in Acts chapter 9, so you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We'll read the text in a, in a little while. I want to do a little review. I want to keep reminding us of some things that will shape our thinking and shape the way we read the book of Acts. So in your notes, a few reminders. Number one, the book of Acts shows us the foundation of the church. So, so we are experiencing the building of the church. Um, the temple has, in all effect, been replaced. God is no longer in the Holy of Holies. It is not where you have to go talk to God, meet with God, visit His representatives. The Holy Spirit is now living inside of, of believers. And the church is where, is where Christians gather. The church is forming. I'm not sure that we have actual churches yet, but we're on the brink of churches forming in cities and gathering together in the name of God. So the church is being formed. Number two, the book of Acts reveals the new role of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is is taking on a new role. It no longer comes and goes in the life of believers. Now he comes and stays. The Holy Spirit is now God's tangible representative in the world it was the father in the tabernacle in the temple then it was Jesus while he walked on earth now it's the holy spirit living inside his people number three it chronicles the development of church leaders Stephen Philip uh, Peter and John and others will come in contact with Saul who became the apostle Paul we see the development of the church leaders who's going to Rise to the top. Who's going to be the people we look to for our guidance? And then number four, it shows the transition from the old to the new covenant. The, the old way of relating to God, looking forward to the Messiah, and now the new way of relating to God, looking back at a Messiah who's already performed the sacrifice. And I want you to, to see the words that you wrote down. Formation, new, development, Transition. Acts only makes sense if you read it as a transitionary narrative. It is giving us the explanation. It's giving us the the pathway from the way they used to do things to the way they do things now. And so we read it in that light. We don't build doctrines on the book of Acts. We do find principles that we apply and we follow. And that's what our goal is as we read this. So As we've tracked along, um, you can divide, so far, the book into people. We started with Peter and John. We heard a lot about Peter and John, things they did. Uh, Then we turned our attention to Stephen. We, we, We were introduced to Stephen as a deacon in charge of food distribution. Then he preached a couple of good sermons. The people reacted by killing him. So there was Stephen, then there was Philip, one of the people who left town. He wound up in Samaria. Philip preached. That town experienced a revival. Philip then went and talked to the Ethiopian eunuch. And then all of a sudden, we're talking about Saul. And we find out that Saul is abusing the church. He's terrorizing the church. He's attacking the church. And then Jesus meets him on the road He's saved. And we learned about Saul, who became Paul eventually. And now we're back to Peter. It's not Peter and John this time. It's specifically Peter. So we're going to spend a few weeks talking about Peter. And when I saw that, my first question was, why are we talking about Peter? We've already talked about Peter. Peter was in the, in the Gospels. Peter's the source of information for the book of Mark. We've, we've already learned about Peter. What, why, why Peter? Why aren't we learning about some other person, maybe some new person, maybe someone else? Why aren't we reading about James, who's, who's rising up in leadership? We, we don't hear a lot about James, the, the brother of Christ. He, that would be interesting. Why Peter? So I thought about that. That's the next thing in your notes. Why Peter? Well, number one, Peter was the leader of the apostles. And he represents them as a whole. Peter has always represented the apostles. When we read about the apostles in the gospels, a lot of time it's Peter talking. And it says, and the others. Peter and the others. Peter and John and the others. So he represents them as a whole. And you can kind of say, where Peter leads, the apostles follow. So we can get an idea of what the apostles are doing by knowing what Peter's doing. And I think that's one of the things that that Luke is doing as he records this. He's saying, hey, here's what Peter's up to. Uh, be assured the others are doing the same thing. Number two, Peter as a leader was right in the middle of everything. It, it's, it's Peter and John, and it's Peter and, and Saul, and it's it's Peter going to investigate uh, what Philip's doing. Uh, Peter's, Peter's in the mix. He's, he's everywhere. He's all over. He's a, so he's a good source. He's in the middle of everything, so he's a good source. And remember, Luke went to find eyewitnesses. Luke went to interview people who were directly involved in what was happening, and he wrote their stories. So Luke was very careful not to write any hearsay down. He only wrote down what could be verified by eyewitness accounts, and Peter was one of those people. Number three, going right along with that, Luke had access to Peter. We know he had access because he quotes him, and he talks about him so much. And therefore, he was able to tell his story. And then number four, why Peter? Well, I think Peter was one of the first apostles to venture out from Jerusalem. And it's kind of a side note, but I found this really interesting. He ventured out away from Jerusalem as James took over. So I mentioned James. He's the half-brother of Jesus. Before Jesus resurrected from the dead, James thought he was crazy. Thought he was nuts. At one point in time, he and his brothers tried to go get Jesus, tried to bring him home so they could, they could insulate him from the controversy he was causing. They wanted to like, protect him and quit embarrassing the family. Jesus said, no, I won't have any of that. They went away. Now James is back. James saw the resurrected Jesus and, he, and, and believed. I don't know how immediate it was. But he believed and immediately became part of the church in Jerusalem. And you can see over time how he's rose in the ranks. It's uh, in your notes there. When Paul introduced himself to the apostles, which we just finished reading about in the first part of Acts 9, we can read a, a, another account of the same set of events in Galatians 1. And there we see that Paul says, When I went to Jerusalem, I spoke only with Peter and James. Peter, the head apostle, James, the leader of the church. So James had become the leader of the church or a leader in the church at this point in time. And when Saul showed up to say, hey, I know I used to be the guy that you were all afraid of, but I'm your friend now. I believe in Jesus. I'm here to share the gospel and preach. He went to Peter and James. That's who he went to. And he says, that's the only people I talked to in the beginning. You can read about that in Galatians. And then a second thing there, when Peter miraculously escaped from prison, which is about three chapters from now, when he miraculously escaped from prison, he went to the house where they were praying. Remember? Rhoda answered the door, but she got all excited and forgot to let Peter in. She ran back and said, he's at the door. And they didn't believe her, that whole story. We'll talk about that. But Peter says, report my escape to James. Peter says, James needs to know indication of his leadership and his position. And then in Acts 15, about three more chapters, at the Council of Jerusalem, they're debating how we're going to handle Gentiles who have become Christians. How much of the Jewish law do they have to obey? How much freedom do they have? They're debating all that. At the end of the debate, after everyone has spoken, after everything's been recorded, it says that James stood up and gave the answer. So James now Is the leader of the church, and and when the council had debated, he stood up to give the answer. In other words, he stood up as the judge and said, I've heard everything, this is this is what we're gonna do. And he offered the answer. So James is becoming the leader of the church, and, and not too many chapters from now, he is the leader of the church. And I just thought it was interesting that Peter's an apostle, not a pastor. And James is a pastor, not an apostle. Just highlighting the fact that that God brings different roles into different people's lives. And they do what what they do. Alright? The apostles were sent out, which is why Peter starts moving away from Jerusalem. He eventually winds up in Asia Minor. And pastors are called to stay. Which is why James fortifies himself and, and becomes part of the church in Jerusalem. And that's where he spends his Life of ministry. So, why Peter? Well, he kind of represents everyone. He's in the middle of everything. Luke had access to him. And as, as the transition was taking place from Peter being in charge to James being in charge, Peter started going out in other places to continue his ministry as an apostle. And now, to the text of today, what's the context? Well, the context is super simple. And it's kind of nice to have a simple context to deal with. The context of our passage today and the next couple of weeks is Acts 9.31. And it says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. So then, it says then the church, so then, after what? Like what happened to say, and then? Well, what happened was Saul shows up. And he tells the apostles, hey, I'm one of you now. So Saul's conversion is one of the big things that happens. So Saul is running around creating havoc in the church. Saul gets saved. And it says, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. There's that familiar phrase. It increased in numbers. They were growing in their faith they were growing in their uh understanding of the holy spirit they were being encouraged by the spirit they were growing in numbers and so that's the setting for the next few uh occurrences in the book and so verse 32 now we get the and while this is taking place so and while the spirit is encouraging them and while they're increasing in numbers And while they're enjoying a time of peace, these are some things that happened. And in the rest of chapter 9, we're going to get two of those. And then in chapter 10, we're going to get another one. And they grow in how much time they get in the the book. So we barely hear anything about about Lydda. It's a a town or a city or a, a village. And then we hear a little bit more about Joppa. And then all of a sudden, we get this very long text and dialogue and storyline about Cornelius and Peter and and this interaction. So he starts off with saying, hey, there was a long time of peace. The Holy Spirit was working. We're growing in numbers. Here's some of the things that were going on. And he works from small to large. And we're going to hit the two small ones today. So the, the context is that the church enjoyed peace and increased in number. That means lots of people were getting saved. So a little bit more before we actually get to the text. What is the pattern of God's development in the apostles? I noticed something else. I noticed something else that I thought was important to make note of. There's a pattern here. Not a, not a real strong pattern. I mean, it's there. It's not like this is God's only pattern. But I saw something that I think is, is very much worth pointing out. What's the pattern? The answer, God is using both blessing... And hardship. And the interesting thing is that he's using both very successfully. He's using blessing successfully. Every time we we hear about the blessings, it says, and they increased in number. And he's using hardship. And every time we hear about the hardship, we cannot look very hard at all to see what God is doing in the hardship. So, Acts 1 through 3, things are going great for the apostles and the brand new church. There's Pentecost, the miracle of languages. Um, 3,000 people get saved there. Then the the lame man is healed and another 2,000 people get saved and, and, and all this stuff is going on and everything's going great. That's chapter 1 through 3. Then in chapter 4, Peter gets arrested, which is kind of bad news, but then he gets released. You're like, oh, well, that didn't turn out too bad. Maybe we're still having some some good stuff going on here. Well, Peter was arrested and released and shortly after that, Ananias and Sapphira were punished by death and, and that doesn't sound so bad uh, unless you remember the story they, they came into the church they lied to Peter lied to God and they dropped dead on the spot and congregation members had to haul them out and bury them and so things are getting a little bit exciting now people are dying in church for lying and so you know good things came from that but that's not a good thing I, nobody was happy that they died then the Sadducees grew jealous of the apostles because they were having a greater impact than they were. The Sadducees, who were the, um, they were the political and religious leaders. They called the shots. They they ran things. When they made decisions, they were enforced. The Sadducees got jealous of the apostles and started arresting them, and and we read about all that and the circumstances there, and then Stephen preaches a great sermon, and and they they like it so much that they charge him like charge at him with stones and kill him he becomes the first martyr of the church and we have that whole scenario there's some good stuff in in what in what stephen said and how he responded and how god responded to him but it's it's not good news for other people hey don't preach like stephen you might get killed so stephen is martyred and then saul who's there thinks this is so great and sees this as an opportunity to put down the church and get rid of these people that are causing trouble, he goes to the leadership and he says, hey, I'm your man. Give me papers. Give me orders. Give me authority. I'll track down these Christians. I'll bring them in. I'll interrogate them. And when they slip up, we'll nail them to the wall. And he did that. And he arrested people and he interrogated them. And when they said what he needed to hear, he executed them. And they were killed. And then he, that was so successful, he got permission to start going to other towns. Let me work the countryside. Let me move around. Let me find other people. And he was on his way to Damascus. When Jesus met him on the road and said, Paul, what are you doing? And he said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And that was, that was his conversion experience. So in uh, 4 through 7, things aren't going well. At the end of 7, Paul or Saul is going around killing people, and they're scared of him. When they hear he, he's coming to town, they're, they're hiding. But in Acts 8, we read about Philip, who preached in Samaria. And he did such a good job that there was a revival, and even the other religious leader, the false religion leader, Simon the Sorcerer, got saved. And then Philip speaks to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he got saved, and he got baptized. Saul is miraculously saved. And that's kind of where we are in our text, but in the, in the near future, we see that Peter travels and he serves. There's a vision at Cornelius' house. Uh, a major question is resolved. And then we hear about scattered believers starting a church in Antioch. We see that church, actually group of people being established. And then believers are finally called Christians. So it's really good, then it's really bad. Then it's really good, then it's really bad. Then it's really good. But the the important thing is that God was working the whole time. And you may be able to relate in your life. It may be going really good for a while. And God's blessing, and you're praising, and it's super good. And wow, God is so good, I can't believe what He's doing. And then it might get really bad. It might be, why, God, is this happening to me? I I thought we were good. Why Why am I suffering in this way? Why am I being persecuted in this way? Why are people treating me like this? And then it might get good again. You have victory. Then it might get bad again. Another attack. And in the good, God is working. And in the bad, God is working. And that's the great thing about God. He can take any situation. And He can work in it. You know, The world has had a rough couple of years. No matter what you think about COVID uh, or any related topic, no matter what you think about politics, no matter what you think about global warming, no matter what you think about so many topics, the world's had a rough year or two. But you know what's great? God has been working. We have new families in the church. Other churches have new families. They're growing. I just heard a an awesome testimony from a pastor down in Vancouver where we were meeting for our, our monthly lunch and prayer time and, and he related that they were starting a building project and, and they had put it out into three phases because the cost was so great and there was no thought at all that, that they would be able to, to do more than one at a time and each one was going to take forever and, and so they broke it down and they finally voted to start a campaign and they started the campaign to raise the money and the, the, the testimony was that before they even started the campaign, they had already raised enough money for phase one and phase two. And, and we're talking four and a half million dollars. And yeah, we're just like, whoa, how does that happen? Where does this happen? I'm like, I can't believe I'm sitting in a room with someone who can tell me this firsthand experience of God providing. You know, and they're not a mega church. They're not huge. They're not, but they serve God. And God is working, and their buildings are getting old, and they need replaced, and they stepped out on faith. I mean, like I said, we're, we're at our meeting going, all right, God, I guess it's time to step out and trust you. And then he just started doing this, and it was all word of mouth. God works at all times, in all circumstances, when we're suffering, when we're being challenged, when we have a time of rest, when we're being blessed in many ways, he's, he's always working. And He has a plan. And so we see God's work being done here. In every one of the negative things that happened, we saw God accomplishing something. In every one of the good things, we saw God accomplishing something. So let's read this text, Acts chapter 9, 32 through 43, at the end of the chapter. And we're just going to get the... And while we're having this time of peace and encouragement, this is these are some things that happen. So, 32. As Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas. Okay, honestly, I have no idea how to say this name. I've tried it a dozen different ways. That's what I'm going with. Aeneas. Okay. There was a man... Uh, found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years Aeneas, Peter said to him Jesus Christ heals you get up and roll up your mat immediately Aeneas got up and those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord four verses that's all we get four verses this guy who's paralyzed for eight years Peter, or Peter rolls into town says, you know pick up your mat and walk, you're healed in the name of Jesus Christ and it happens and people get saved we don't get the sermon, we don't get any of the details we don't know who this guy is we don't know about his life, we don't know about his family we, we get nothing just the bare minimum that's, that's Luke going, hey here's one thing uh, how about this and so this happens Okay, then verse 36 in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Did you hear that? Dorcas? I love it. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, when? About the time that Aeneas was being healed, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. That's just saying she's dead, dead. Okay, she's she's all dead. Lydda was was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. They didn't say, please come raise her from the dead. They said, please come at once. They said, hey, Peter's in town. We could use a Peter. We could use some leadership. We need some encouragement. We need someone to speak into the situation. Man, we have lost someone who's very precious to us. We, we lost Tabitha. Peter, can you come? Can you minister to us? Verse 39, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing, showing him the robes and other clothes that Dorcas had made while she was still with them so he goes in to mourn with them he goes in to assess and to be there to, to be Peter the apostle verse 40 Peter sent them all out of the room then he got down on his knees and prayed don't, don't read past that too fast Peter sent them all out of the room then he got down on his knees and prayed I think Peter was standing there going what am I supposed to do what am I supposed to say to these people how am I supposed to minister to them and he says, all right, everybody everybody, leave. I need to pray. And he got down on his knees. Notice what he didn't do. Don't read more into this than's here. He didn't go, oh, Lord, our friend Tabitha is laying here on the bed, dead. Would you please raise her from the dead? I'm going to speak to her now, and you raise her from the dead. Tabitha, get up. No, I think he's going, uh, okay, God, I need some help here. I don't know what to do. What do you want me to say to these people? This woman was a saint. She meant so much to them. How are they going to get past this? I'm just traveling, traveling through here. What am I supposed to do? And I think the Holy Spirit spoke to him. The Holy Spirit spoke to him, answered his question. And so it says, turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then they called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Do we know anything about Simon? You don't know who he is? that's just who Peter stayed with a little detail that, that we're given. So we have the, the small story of what happened in light of the slightly bigger story of what happened in, in Joppa and then we're going to get more in chapter 10, a larger story. but let' let's see what we can pull from this. Let's use our notes and see what we can get. So with Aeneas, Peter did what he saw Jesus do. When I read that, did you have a flashback? Did you have a flashback to Jesus saying, take up your mat and walk? Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and roll up your mat. Very similar, take take up your bed and walk. So Peter did what he saw Jesus do. When Peter did what Jesus did, many people responded favorably to god see i'm asking the question to myself why is this here we got four verses we have so few details what what are the details we do have and why are they important i'm immediately drawn to the fact that this is so similar in word and in action to what jesus had done take up your mat and walk and and peter says jesus christ heals you and then spoke to him get up and roll up your mat and he immediately he got up and i think okay He did what Jesus did we don't know if he prayed beforehand we don't know if he was led by the spirit we don't even know know, we don't know hardly any details here but he did what he saw Jesus do and people responded and this begs the question for me what have we seen Jesus do that we can also do you know I haven't seen Jesus heal a lame person and say take up your mat and walk and I'm not sure that that's really anything that I will ever see or ever be called to do. But what have I seen Jesus do? What have I experienced Jesus doing that I can do? Well, I made a short list. I can love people. And, and and love, I need to expand that. He loved his disciples who were idiots almost all the time. I mean, think about it. They, they never listened. They argued. They got it wrong and they didn't obey. They were... They were not good disciples, but he loved them. He's telling them about being humble and loving your neighbor as yourself. And they're 10 feet back going, hey, I'm the greatest, man. I'm number one. You can have number two. You're number nine, buddy. Arguing about who's the greatest over and over and over again. They were arguing about who's the greatest when Jesus walked up and washed their feet. They, They were idiots half the time. Jesus loved them anyway. He also loved children, which is why we love children. I mean, think about it. He loved children. Matter of fact, he told them, you need to be more like the children. And it gives us an example. He also loved sinners. He healed sinners. He, he died for sinners. He loved sinners. What else did he do? Well, he forgave an awful lot. We can forgive. He taught his disciples. He, he teaches us. We can teach others. He prepared them for the life He had. We can help prepare people for a successful life, a a life of ministry, these kinds of things. He sacrificed, not only on the cross, He also never married, never had children, never owned a home. He sacrificed all those things so He could be who He was, a Savior. And then He sacrificed Himself on the cross. He served others. I mentioned He washed people's feet. He also fed the 5,000. He did is miracles we're often serving others so we can love we can forgive we can teach we can prepare and disciple we can make sacrifices of ourselves we can serve others so we can do what jesus has done as well and i'm confident to say that 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 will have the same effect when we do what we've seen jesus doing others will respond because how can they not respond to jesus they might not always respond favorably, but they'll respond. And most of the time, they're going to be happy to experience you doing what Jesus did. So that's one thing we can take from from Aeneas. And then number two, in Joppa, with Tabitha, Peter prayed for guidance and God's power. And I love that they put that in there. I'm so happy that Peter walked into the room and went, oh, I need to pray. Everybody leave me alone. I'm going to pray. And then he prayed and God spoke to him and then he did what God said. Peter, the super apostle, the leader of everybody, went into a situation, didn't know what to do, and prayed. We need to learn to walk into a room where we don't know what to do. Instead of making it up on our own, we need to stop and pray. And then after God's power was displayed, not Peter's power, God's power was displayed in both situations, uh, many people believed. It says, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. God used this. Peter did. Peter prayed. Peter did, but God told him to do it. Many people were saved. Peter stayed for a while, presumably disciple and evangelizing, which is a good example for us. And then the last line there, when we pray for God's leading and then follow it, good things will happen. I think we can claim the same thing. We can, we can see the same thing happening. When we walk into a room or, or hear about a situation or made aware of something or someone calls us to ask for help and we don't know what to do, we should start by praying. Ask God to help us and then follow his lead. If you ask God to pray and immediately you have an idea that sounds like it's right in line with the Bible and is, is something God would do, that's probably the Holy Spirit going, hey, here's what you need to do. The very first call I got as a chaplain you know, I'd been to Chaplain Academy I had been prepared and all this stuff. I get a call as a chaplain, I put on my little my little shirt, my hat, and I head out the door, and my chest is going. Like, what in the world am I gonna do when I get there? And and I I drove slow <laughs> so I could get a little bit more prayer time in on the way. And I walked in and 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 I was kind of told what was going on. And I talked to these people. And I I just followed what I hope the Holy Spirit was leading me to do. And we got done. And it had been helpful. And and some of the situation was resolved. And it, it kind of toned down a little bit. And it worked. And that's what we need to do. When we walk into a situation, we need to pray. But number three... On both occasions, I want you to notice, Peter was working with, through, and in the local church. Went to Joppa, he was visiting the Lord's people. They weren't called the church yet, but they were the church. He was visiting the Lord's people in Lydda. And then in Joppa, the leaders of the church called him, say, Hey, come, come to where we're at, we need you. So he's working with and for and through the people. And, and that's why we pray for ten new families. That's why we pray for influence. That's why we pray our gospel prayers, so that we are acting as the local church and serving as the local church. So there's just a few things from the text. Here's your application. We already see, okay, this is kind of new information, and if you look at the text, you can see this. We already see God using normal people, okay, not super apostles, okay? The Lord's people in, in Lydda and the disciples in Joppa. God's using them for His purposes. We're already seeing it. And not not super dramatically, but we're seeing God use normal people. We are normal people. Okay, Y'all are normal people. I all are normal people. We're just people that live and can and will be used by God if we're available. We're all normal people. God's already using normal people. He's also using suffering people. Aeneas, was crippled for eight years that was not a walk in the park yes I meant to say that it was not a walk in the park it was, it was not a, a joyride. he was crippled that was bad bad news back then they didn't have electric wheelchairs and scooters that was, it was bad news he was crippled for eight years and God used him to reach his community Tabitha died also not good news you don't, you don't volunteer for that usually. You know? She was dead. God used her. He was using suffering people. And He was using the people around them who were also suffering along with them. Those who were mourning for Tabitha. And then He used specially called people, namely Peter. And this is interesting because sometimes God calls some of us to do special things. Sometimes He says, Hey, you... Go do this. And we respond and God uses us. I'm a called person. I'm also a normal person, but I'm a called person. Normal people become called people. And God uses all these different people to accomplish His will. So we're all normal people who can do for others what God has done for us. We're all normal people who can pray for guidance... Some of us have been, can be, and will be called specifically for special tasks and ministries. But in and all, through all, God is the one doing the work. So here's here's a principle for you. We do what we are called to do. We let God do the rest. God raised Tabitha from the dead. God healed the lame man Peter did what God told him to do, and the the people who were around were also doing what God called them to do. So, what we see here in Acts, in this transitionary book, we see Luke reporting that, that after Saul gets saved, there's a time of peace. And during that time of peace, a lot of good stuff is happening. For example, Peter's doing these things. We can draw inference that other apostles were probably doing similar things at the same time in other areas. But We get Peter's first hand account, and then we're gonna we're gonna continue on, and we're gonna hear some bigger things that Peter's involved in as we continue in chapter ten. so I hope that gave you something to think about. It did me it's very encouraging us normal people to be used by God. let's pray, Father, thank you that you just use us uh, you know. By our wisdom, it's probably not the best plan, but by your wisdom, it is the best plan. And you reach people through people. I pray that you would help us to be available to be your people, to reach out to others who will become your people. I pray that we won't be afraid, we won't take on the task on our own shoulders, but we'll rely on you to do your work as we obey you in the process. So be with us, Help us to listen, help us to obey, and we will praise you when we see the results. So bless us as we go through the week. May we serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen.